Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. In a world where action movies are constantly exploding at the box office, our heroes take on the monumental task of dissecting and analyzing all aspects of action movies to truly understand what it takes to make a great action film. Ben Bateman, Andrew Guy, in a Popcorn Talk Network exclusive, this is Action Movie Anatomy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the show. Where's my explosion? Boom! Start it over. Start it over. Uh, just kidding. Welcome to Action Movie Anatomy, guys. I'm Ben Bateman. Welcome back to the show. Welcome to another Wednesday. I'm sorry we got started a little late today. Just kidding. Our new start time is 1 o'clock. Also, just kidding. We were late. Uh, this is my co-host, <laughs> Andrew Guy. Hey, guys. How we doing? I had a holiday work party last night. Feeling a little... Uh... Little hungover, but I am ready to talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We're doing Kill Bill today, guys. Kill Bill. Remember that movie? Oh, is it an action movie, you ask? It maybe is an action movie. We're going to talk about that on the Definitely show today. It is an action movie. It's 100% an action it's movie. It's jam-packed with action. Uh, this is Action Movie Anatomy on the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network, talking about movies and all things movie-related. Uh, this is our 30... 30- Fourth episode, or something like that. Thirty-fourth, something like that. Yeah, we're uh, we're. It's just a freight train, guys. It's an unstoppable freight train of enthusiasm and awesome. Like a Tony Scott movie, if you will. Yes, exactly. Like a Tony Scott movie, like an unstoppable train. Uh, we do, <laughs> <laughs> we do. Uh, we're talking about the movie Unstoppable, with directed train by Tony, Tony Scott, two thousand nine. We'll probably do it on the show someday. We will. We won't. There's no... There's, that is not an action movie. The train is the villain. Uh, all right, guys. So we do action movies on the show here that fit for basic rules. Uh, they, aside from being made loosely after 1981, which is not necessarily a rule anymore, it's just kind of something we try to stick to, uh, they have four rules that we stick to. Number one, the hero always plays by their own rules. Number two, the hero and the villain are always the smartest people, things, aliens, beings, dinosaurs, what have you in the room. Mm-hmm. Rule number three... The movie is driven by a police, military, political, or mercenary figure. When we say political, we mean they, they could be the man or work for the man, as in they could be an MTA operator in the Taking Pelham mm. 1, 2, 3. And lastly, there's at least one explosion in the film. Now, is there an explosion in this film? This this movie bucks the, the rules, I would say, pretty, pretty like, clearly, because she's, she's not, like... She's a mercenary. She plays by her own rules. Yeah. She's definitely the smartest person in the room. I still feel like, though, the villain, the real villain is Bill. Is Bill. And he's not in this movie, really. So she right. fights against, like, an underling who's just, she kind of, like, bests. In a- but the whole time the movie alludes to him being the boss, like, the bad guy. And it does it does play to the whole point, which is that, like, when Tarantino is advertising his new movie, Hateful Eight, mm-hmm. um, which comes out on Christmas, by the way, guys, which is why we're doing this, because obviously like, Tarantino movies are always a huge deal, um, he advertises as the eighth movie of like, Quentin Tarantino. And that only accounts if you consider Kill Bill one movie, because Grindhouse is is the sixth, yeah, or the fifth. Well, he wanted it to be one movie initially, and, and yeah. I know you guys as an audience, you guys have talked about it on the on Twitter, and you guys have talked about it on the live chat today. We're not going to talk about the second movie. We're talking about just one movie, and the reason for that is is that if we were going to do both movies, it would be a completely different show that would probably have to be a lot longer because we're packing about a four hour movie into one show. Absolutely, yeah. I do love Kill Bill too, and we might do it one day on the show, probably not. It's a little it's like it's much more, drama, more heavily like yeah. drama driven. Um it's a great movie. Ben actually likes it more than the first one. I do. But we are gonna be talking about just the first movie today. And we're not gonna be talking about all the things that it pulls from either, like all the source material. That's 
that's for you guys to do if you want to do that's not what we do on the show even though it is very interesting and quentin tarantino is one of the best people at pulling from other things and making it his own that's not what we're going to talk about today. So I think I'll use that as a springboard to get into our next thing here. And okay. This is the, well, before we do actually doing it, I should remind you guys, we have a Twitter now. We do. Uh, the Action Movie Anatomy Twitter, the official Twitter is AMA Podcast. So we've got 101 uh, followers. Yeah, we've, you know, we've had a slow burn. Uh, <laughs> many people finding it. It's been a lot of fun. So uh, so check that out and, and, and give, us a, give us a follow. We pretty much follow all of you back at this point. Uh, just, we need it. You know, we have a great relationship to our fans. Right. Um, and We don't uh, talk like that. No, I don't know whose voice that was. If you guys want to follow us personally, though, you can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. And you can find me at Andrew Guy on Twitter. And uh, let's get into thesis statement. Yeah. So this is how we start the show, guys. If you're fans of the show, you know that we do this. This is kind of like our moment to share a bold thought on the film. It's like a you come up with something kind of based in hyperbole almost. It doesn't have to be. Right. But it should be strong, right? Like yeah. the boldest, the greatest, the best, the first, um, the only time this has ever happened or something like that. <clears throat> um, just an idea that you can really stick with throughout the whole episode. I liked mine this week. Me too. And actually, it was rem- I was reminded of it when you started talking about the source material. Oh, really? Okay. So what I'm going to go with is that more so than any director of our generation, Quentin Tarantino is as much a genre as he is a director. And this movie is the one that cements that idea. The ideology of Quentin Tarantino as a director, what his movies look like, they feel like, what they represent. This is the one that really, like, sort of kicked that whole idea into the stratosphere. Because if you think about it, Reservoir Dogs, though it does the same thing, it's a shot-for-shot remake in a lot of senses of the original film, is a much more traditional movie. It's like a gritty crime drama. Yeah, it's got some scenes, and it's got some of his... Tarantino-isms, if you will. Right. But for the most part, it's just a really bloody, well, like, lots of swearing, lots of shooting, Mm -hmm. lots of violence. Awesome movie. This is the only movie he's done, I believe, without, or up to this point, that had less than a hundred fucks in it. 17? Is that the number 17, yeah, 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 which is just amazing to me. Yeah, it's crazy. (laughs) Um, But, you know, Reservoir Dogs is that, so then you look at Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is the the gold standard of what his movies ended up being like. Nobody will ever argue that Pulp Fiction is not his best movie, and I don't think he'll ever be able to make a movie better than that, because it's like one of the 50 best movies ever made. Right, because he has just enough of his Tarantinoisms in it to make it, like, a great piece of art yeah. without slapping you in the face. And that's why, in this movie, I think that it works is because of the type of movie that this is. If there was as many Tarantinoisms in Pulp Fiction, yeah. it would not be as good of a movie. What I think it is is that I think the movie's jam-packed with them. I think it was just the first time, so we didn't know what we were looking at yet. And now it's mm-hmm. been... The movie is so sort of cloaked in legend that when you watch it, it doesn't feel like he's trying to redo himself. It's right. like he's it's the, it was fresh and it still feels that way because it's such a classic. Okay. So then Jackie Brown is again, it's actually his <clears throat> he like regresses. It's his most linear movie. Yeah. It's the one it's not as uh, gritty as Reservoir Dogs and it has some of his stuff in it but it's really like it's an Elmore Leonard book that's been adapted mm-hmm. and you can tell that he adapted a book. He didn't write an original screenplay. Right, right. So the reason I say that this is the one that cements the idea this is Quentin Tarantino being like, okay, you guys want guns and you guys want fuck. I'm going to say fuck 17 times, have the movie driven by a woman, and have it harken to back to 70s kung fu movies. Most right. of you probably don't even know the genre, but I'm Quentin Tarantino, so you're going to watch it. Yeah. I'm going to have Uma Thurman do all kinds of things. She's going to use the square thing. She's going to say lines that you're like – the whole time you're like, am I supposed to know that's from somewhere? Is this lifted from somewhere? Are you just doing it to be Quentin Tarantino where you just like write like – she just says something that they're like, why but, does she say it that way? Right. But there's things in this movie that if you don't know the source material, material, you also wouldn't know that they pulled from old things. And, and I don't know the source material. That's my exactly. point. So, so my point about it being the one that really cements him as a genre is that when I tried to think about why, because we, Andrew and I disagreed on this movie being in the genre, not as much as like 
I only had seen it once, to be honest with you guys. I had seen it when it was in theaters, and then this was the second time I watched it. And I had seen it about 20 times over the last 12 years. <laughs> so the parallel experience was not parallel whatsoever. Yeah, it was, not we, at all. We had a different feeling about the movie, but and I really enjoyed it this time. I thought it was awesome. Like, I was much more willing to enjoy it, I think, because I wasn't a teenager. Right. Um, but my point was, like... You weren't one of those Tarantino kids anymore? Because that's what I had been originally? Yeah. yeah. But so, like, when I when I really think about it, like who he's become in our culture when we go see a movie it's like they're not they always have a certain amount of action they always have a certain amount of gore mm-hmm. they've always got a lot of cursing the characters all in this sort of weird universe feel like they all could be in each other's movies a little bit right like they all feel like they're parts of the same kind of like you know what I mean they'll talk in a similar way that they... <clears throat> so that's what I mean this movie has so much action this movie has far more action than many of the action movies we've done on the show yeah this is a better movie in the sense of how it's shot in how it's paced than many of the movies we've done on the show. Yeah. It just doesn't feel like our show necessarily. It feels like a Tarantino movie, which is weird. And I was trying to think, what does that mean? And that is what it is. He has his own genre. Yeah. I mean, I, I can, I can agree with you to an extent yeah. on that part. Like I, I do, I do agree that Tarantino movies feel like Tarantino movies, like *Glorious Bastards and Django and yeah. Kill Bill one and two, they all feel a certain way. And people try to rip him off. People try right. to do movies that feel like his movies. But I feel like Kill Bill Volume 1, for me, yeah. doesn't quite feel that way enough to pull it outside of our genre. Interesting. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I really feel like there's enough action in this movie, and it's a type of action, type of action that I like, and it's a movie that, like, it's like a feel-good movie to me, too. Right. Like, and that's one thing I love about a lot of the movies that we do on this show, is that they make you feel a certain way, kind of like a, like like what we talk about with our fist pump moments. Like, yeah. Fuck yeah. Like, this is right. awesome. It's the music. It's the shots. Yeah, it's the tracking yeah, yeah. shots. It's the acting. Like, And that's, you know, that's going to lead into my thesis statement. And my thesis statement is, is that... I believe that Uma Thurman is in the same sense that Denzel is to Tony Scott. Uh, she is Quentin Tarantino's muse. She is at her best when she is with Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Whether it's Pulp Fiction or Kill Bill 1 and 2, she gives her best performances. And she's just, she's just there's something like just engaging about her and just, you just want to watch her. Yeah. And I don't get that from her doing anything else. Well, and she's also the best female character that's in any of his movies. Absolutely. She, she's at her best. And then, like, in his his hand is, like, his treatment of a female character is, like, at its best when she's involved. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I mean, my point was less to say that it doesn't fit the genre, more to say that when I tried to put my finger on what genre it is, mm-hmm. to try to establish why I didn't feel like it, I couldn't. It, it's its own genre. Like, I think about other movies that have tried to rip off Tarantino. Right. Um, you know, you think about movies like Smoke and Aces, or you think about these movies that are like these sort of like slick crime things, with lots of cursing and, and quirky characters and that gritty, shoot guns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, they're usually just worse Smoke versions. Smoke and Aces is kind of sweet. Yeah, but they're usually <laughs> worse versions of what he does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you can't. Yeah, I guess you can't, I can't say that you can't do it as good as the person that originally did it because that's basically what Quentin Tarantino has proven. Yeah, is that you can do it as well as the original person, just in a different way. Yeah, well, I mean, like, okay, a great example of a movie that is trying to be what he was mm-hmm. and sort of succeeded, but like in retrospect, when you go back to watch it, it just feels like this really kind of campy, bad treatment of the genre is Boondock Saints. This is a movie yeah, where at the time people loved it. Yeah, it was, it was a, cult a huge classic. cult classic. Yeah, and you find out about the guy that wrote it. And it, it, he was not trained. He was like, I think a bouncer. He's a guy in a band, uh, and he like wrote an original screenplay with a bunch of like quirky characters that fire guns and say cool right. shit. And then in the end, the movie ages poorly because 
though Quentin Tarantino, and we'll get into this when we talk about him, you know, he's a video store kid that just made his own movies. Right. He didn't don't go to film school. He he, or I don't recall, but I mean, he's basically a self taught guy. Mm-hmm. There's only a couple people ever that have been able to do that, where like they're at that level by just being a movie fan. Right. And so I think you know it's. He's remarkable. I mean, he's he's a truly remarkable part of our he generation. Is an incre- I mean, he is one of the greatest directors of our generation. Yeah, I would say of our generation, he's he the could most be the- iconic, probably. Yeah, because he he appeals to the mass audiences in yeah. ways that others that I respect a lot don't. Yeah, he might have he might have been the most influential. I think Peter Bogdanovich actually stated in some, something that he was the most influential director of our generation. Cool. All um, right. Well, let's uh, let's watch the trailer here. Yeah, so we can get that get that going. And uh, and then we can get into our, our fist pump moment. Mm. There's a lot, a lot mm. of them. Mm. Not too long ago, I was quite the professional. My friends and I, we were the creme. It's so funny because I, in my memory, I don't this, trailer, this trailer at all. all yeah, me neither. Like, Bill, Bill. I remembered it starting with that that sweet song that plays. Yeah, which is in here. I think it's right here. Oh no! I guess they should have tried a little harder. So I suppose it's a little late for an apology, huh? You suppose correctly. Now it's kill or be killed. You have every right to want to get even. Get even? Even, Stephen? I would have to kill you. That'd be that square. And I choose kill. See, I remember it's opening with the song. This song. It's almost what? They make the trailer much more Tarantino-y than the movie is. Like, the parts that they pull for, like, comedic value. Yeah, totally. And I mean... That's from number two. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Pie May. It's just funny, because, like, the, uh... He's such a polarizing figure. I mean, that that those Tarantinoisms we're talking about, they're not like Did you see how in the trailer like her clothes are covered in like yeah. black? Did yeah. You read about that? Yeah. That they the, there was a rule that was made after this trailer had come out that you can't have blood in trailers anymore because she was just soaked with it. Interesting. I didn't read that. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. And that's why they had to change it to this black color. You didn't think it was gonna be that easy, did you? It's a sweet trailer. Yeah, it's good. It's, which is crazy when you consider when this trailer came out. This is in yeah. the same time period a lot of those terrible trailers. Yeah, that absolutely. Watched. As a slave. As a slave. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Sweet shot. That might be the worst part of any trailer we've ever that watched. It is definitely the worst part of any trailer. Yeah. Like, the fact that they just... Was there an exclamation point at the end of it? I think so, yeah. yeah. Oh, and it's written it's in... The like, Matrix, right? Yeah, it's written yeah. in, like, old, like, green, like... <laughs> yeah, it's the worst. Oh, uh, so that trailer was cool. Um, it's a pretty good trailer. I think that it does a bit of an injustice to the film. It just seems... It makes it seem so much more campy than it is. And I know this film is... Yeah. But it's not that much. I think it's... This is what we were saying before the show started. And so, as you said, you've seen the movie 20 times. And I had seen it once. So... And I was a huge Tarantino fan. Like, yeah. let me just say, like, I had read a bi- biography on the guy. Like, I know a lot of history. I didn't care about him at all. Yeah. He was, yeah. like, the guy. Because at, at the age that I was in 2003, which would have been, like, 15 or something yeah. like that, you know, like, 
I was becoming a movie fan, like an adult movie fan. I was like watching the AFI Top 100 and I was like watching all these movies trying to really, you know, like I wanted to like impress my dad essentially, right? He was right. like a big movie fan growing up. So like I was trying to really connect in like an intelligent way with movies. And Tarantino, as we said, the reason that I think he's such an important director is he was this very approachable uh, figure because his movies were super enjoyable. They're kind of made for all ages as a young guy, especially, yeah. you know, they're movies that really appeal to you. So I was amped for this movie. I just don't know the source material. Like, Kung Fu movies have never been my thing. So what ended up happening was, like, I watched it, got kind of swept up in the whole culture of teenagers feeling the same way I did, and was like, I want to be cool. I liked him before. You guys liked him. I'm going to reject this movie because I wasn't that into it. I didn't want to watch it again. And so then as the years went on, I sort of had that feeling, and I just didn't really connect with people over this movie. Right. You had a different experience. You connected with people over this movie. This was this became a classic for you. This Absolutely. Was, I mean, me me and my roommates would watch this movie all the time in college. Right. Kill Bill one and two. I mean, we watched a lot of movies a lot of times in college. Don't get me wrong, but this was one of them. This is one that was in the rotation. This movie's sweet. Man. It's a huge movie. I mean, yeah. it totally came out in the same same era as a lot of the ones that we talk about on the show that were like huge for us. Yeah. Within a few years of Gladiator, within a few years of Matrix, Born Identity, these Patriot. movies. <laughs> Love the Patriot. <laughs> uh, Audible guys, we're gonna just start doing the Patriot episode live again. Uh, yeah, so like, I think that's so fascinating because when I watched this trailer and I remember it coming out and everyone talking about it, like, it hasn't been in the canon for me. It doesn't right. register as a classic. It's so funny because our again, like, our experience of this is so different, and we'll, we're gonna move on with the show. Don't worry. But, yeah. Um, the first time I saw this movie, it was when. I think my mom was, she had friends over or something. I don't know what it was. I watched it on her 19 inch old school CRT DVD VHS combo in her room. And I remember sitting there and yeah, I was like 14 or whatever. I watched this when it came out and it was just mind blowing to me. It was so intense. And like at this point, I've been a huge movie fan my whole life. Yeah. I really love movies, but I didn't actually start to like critically analyze them and follow directors and stuff until. About getting into college. Yep. I was just a guy that loved movies and knew everyone that was in any movie. Yeah. Um, and I remember watching this movie and I had to like fast forward through parts because it was so intense. And I was like, and I want, and I don't, I wanted to know what happened. Like the very end was the part that I really remembered because you, I hadn't seen many people get as many limbs chopped off yeah. as in this movie ever in any yeah. movie, you know? And uh, it was at the very end and just when she's got Sophie and, uh, She's got Sophie in the trunk, but then it cuts to Bill talking to her. Yeah. And I remember I was sitting there, and I was so nervous and anxious for what this Bill guy was going to do, because yeah. he was so evil. And I had to fast forward to the end of the movie and yeah. see that nothing bad happened, and then I rewound it and listened to the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I love horror movies, so I don't know. I was just, just I was chicken shit. I didn't remember this movie being as violent as it was. I mean, yeah. it's not even violent in, like, a grotesque way, it's mostly. Not, it's not grisly. No, it's just it's violent in like a very like over the top campy blood spray. Yeah, so it's almost like anime. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. It was just what I was trying to do. So uh, let's get into uh, fist pump moment. Yeah. So this is the thing we do on the show, guys. If you watch the show, you know fist pump moment is it's that moment when you're watching the movie. Something happens and you kind of have this like fuck yeah. Anybody else watching this movie? Yeah, this is just sweet. awesome. Yeah. You've seen this right now. Maybe you get on the phone, you call your buddy. Hey, man, I'm I'm <laughs> sitting next to you on the couch. Uh, what's hey, up, Andrew? I'm watching um, Kill Bill. I just it's fucking sweet, dude. I, it's really cool. Yeah, man. I can um, see you talking on the phone right now. Yep. So that's what we're going to do right now is we're going to share our fist pump moments. If you guys have a fist pump moment that you want to share with us, let us know. AMA Podcast on Twitter. You want to start? Uh, yeah, I have two, like basically every single time I do anything on the show. Uh, <laughs> but my my first one is the knife to the chest. 
when she throws the knife. Because first of all, I always think that throwing knives is super badass. Yeah. But it's when she kills Renita Green at the very beginning. Because the way the movie opened, the opening is sweet. It's yeah. a gnarly opening yeah. at the wedding, and then it cuts to her in this fight. And you, yeah. You kind of see what you're going to get for the rest of the film. Yeah. And um, and then he talk about it, like, oh, you know, showdown at dawn or at 2 a.m. or whatever. And then, you know, she... Very funny, bitch. Very funny. And she pulls the cereal box, she yeah. shoots the gun, and then she just sticks her to the chest. Like, done. Dead. I love it. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening on audio, that's me peeing? pouring something into my glass. <laughs> that's not what it was. Uh, the uh, And then the other part for me is when they're sitting, she's sitting there in the sushi restaurant in Okinawa talking to this guy. And she mentions Hattori Hanzo. And you hear the glass break in the back. Yeah, and then you hear the the dude just looks at her. And yeah, and then he starts speaking in fluent Japanese. Yeah, it's just sweet. It's, it's totally like, sweet. If you want yeah. a Hattori Hanzo sword, you got to be able to speak Japanese, and you were able to find him. Like, oh, it's just awesome. Yeah, so those are my two. Yeah, that's a good scene, and he he Tarantino does so well with uh, with the like the uh, dialogue that builds tension in scenes. Absolutely, it's one of his best qualities. Yeah, I mean the scene in Inglorious Bastards yeah. in the bar is one of the best scenes ever, and that's, the scene in the very beginning. In the beginning, I was yeah. going to say with the interrogation where she's under the floorboards. Yeah, the whole yeah. family. Yeah, so good. Yeah, a lot of he, that's like one of his definitely got to be one of his best qualities. I mean uh, Samuel Jackson, that's a tasty burger. Yeah. Like, incredible. He kills yeah. it. Yeah, that's like one of his best qualities. So uh, my fist pump is it's the opening, and it's um, they've beaten the shit out of her. She's on the ground, and it's just before the first credit rolls. And she, what she say? She's like, "Bill, it's your baby." And then it's your baby, yeah. And then the, yeah. And then like, kill Bill or whatever. Is that what it says? Or is it chapter one, something like that. Yeah. yeah, that's that part. Like watching it this time, I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "This is sweet." Yeah, I'm like, ready. Yeah, that's intense. So that's my fist bump. I, I that dig was it. Awesome. I dig it. Those were both very good. Or I mean, all three of those. Yeah, mine was pretty good. Uh, was all right. <laughs> uh, let's get into star profile. So this is fascinating. Uma Thurman is like. So, like, Uma Thurman and Lucy Liu, that's, like, who we chose in this one. And we, we would have done David Carradine, obviously, except that he's really almost not in this movie. Not in the movie at all. Yeah. You hear like, him and you see him, but you don't see his face, right? Yeah, yeah, you see his hand. Yeah, which is funny because I think you see his face in the trailer, right? Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember. Did, did we just see it? I think we see his like face I, in the trailer. Like I said, I drank a lot last night, okay? <laughs> Still drunk. Um, yeah, so Uma Thurman, the three movies listed before this are Chelsea Walls, Tape, and The Golden Bowl. So, I know nothing about any of those movies. Okay, so I looked them up. Okay. The Golden Bowl is a Merchant Ivory movie, um, which I think is James Ivory. Okay. Uh, and he's like a director that does – they're very like – my mom loved Merchant Ivory movies when I was growing up. She would always reference like Room with a View and like this You're is – You're saying that word like I know what it means. Yeah, yeah. So The Golden Bowl, I, I don't know anything about the movie aside from like looking it up and realizing that it was just part of that. I think – it wasn't a big hit from what I could gather. Right. I think it made a lot of money. Um, tape and Chelsea Walls. Uh, Chelsea Walls. One one of them is a an Ethan Hawke-directed film. I think that's Chelsea Walls, maybe. That was when they were married, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's like a short with like a bunch of, uh, bunch of small parts. And I think she's got a small part in it. So the bottom line is none of these three movies that came out in the in the she was a nobody essentially. I mean, not a nobody at this point, but her yeah. career had completely dropped off. She had done Pulp Fiction when mm-hmm. she was like twenty three, and then she had just kind of. But it seems like she was just kind of okay with that. Like she, yeah, she's always kind of been. She's been like one of those people in Hollywood where she's she's not trying to be yeah. the big star like. A list on in every movie, like everyone talks about her. Yeah, it's sort of cool. Like she got the script for this for her for her thirtieth birthday, was it? Yeah, from Tarantino. Absolutely, and he, he'd never pictured anyone other than her playing. Yeah, he just wrote it and he gave it to her because yeah. they, they talked about the edit for this movie on set of Pulp Fiction. Can you imagine that? 
just like Tarantino's like, like this. one of the greatest writer directors at the time that you're in yeah. your 30s and this role comes along you're like this is it this yeah. whole thing this yeah. movie this that ends up being two movies is you it's for you I wrote it's, it for yeah, you exactly yeah you just get to have it happy birthday happy birthday it's just gonna make it's probably make your blow career. your career up yeah which is interesting because we're actually gonna do a little segment today oh yeah about that aren't we we are, yeah. This will be a little later, but mm-hmm. it's to tease you guys with it, uh, we, you know, we started Interest Top Five on the show. So Tarantino has this thing that he likes to do, where he'll he'll take an actor that's either sort of like up and coming but hasn't quite broken through to the next level, mm-hmm. or he'll take an old actor that he used to love, that he was a fan of, that's now just languishing, and he'll put them in an awesome role and kind of resurrect their career. Right, Travolta, and you look at Christoph Waltz and what he yeah. did to his career. You know, yeah, you put one of these guys in one of your primo roles, and it, it really can just skyrocket the guy's career. So we decided we would play a game, which is top five actors or actresses that if Tarantino was to put into a movie now, we would want to see him sort of resurrect or skyrocket their career. It's interesting because Jamie Foxx, Kind of, he did that because his career is already like rocky yeah, yeah, and yeah. kind of slowed down. Uh, it didn't work no, for him. No, I still don't want to see Jamie Foxx in anything. Nope. Even though I like Django. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't like Django, but I don't hate Django. I had to watch it again. I remember yeah. not liking it all the first time, and then I watched it again. I was like, oh, this is good. I watched it another time, and I was like, okay, I, I dig this movie. Like um, most of his movies, I, I tend to like a lot of parts. That tends right. to be my that's my, my these days my relationship to Tarantino movies is that. I like a lot of sections of the movies. Right. And then there's a lot of sections I find annoying. That's definitely how I feel about Inglorious Bastards yeah. and uh, and uh, Django. But I hope that that's not the case with Hateful Eight. With Hateful Eight. I'm hearing Hateful Eight looks great sweet. stuff. Sweet. I'm hearing really awesome. good stuff. Yeah. And if anybody's concerned uh, about Kurt Russell's mustache, we are going to be doing Tombstone and Django. We are going to be doing Kurt Russell's mustache. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, let's get into... Lucy Liu is interesting. Yeah, she's got some credits that are a little bit more relevant. A little bit. I mean, Chicago was huge at the time, but it wasn't because of her. But anyone that was in that movie, it gave their whole career a little bump. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it was a huge ensemble. Yeah, Chicago's like one of those, um, you know how there's those those Oscar winners that come out occasionally, like the Best Picture movie, where Mm -hmm. everybody looks at each other and they're like, oh. Right. And then like 10 years later, you're like, that movie? I have zero interest in watching Chicago ever again. Yep. Like, it's like not. That's not like it was bad. It's a great movie just, for what I, it is. It's, it's just, just like Moulin Rouge. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean. Yeah, like yeah. And, and Nine. That, that I love Moulin Rouge. Dude, I know you do. <laughs> He's got the full wardrobe. I mean, Nine is the ultimate example. Yeah. That movie starring fucking Daniel Day Lewis. Absolutely. And it just com- like what even happened to that movie? It just disappeared. Just Came completely away. fell off. Completely. Yeah. So Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Boom. Uh, <laughs> whammy. <laughs> Things to remember about Charlie's Angels Full Throttle: Demi Moore in a bikini in her forties. That was that was like mind blowing. People were like, God, she looks amazing. She looks amazing. She looks like 28. Ashton Kutcher should marry her. Yeah, and then they did. <laughs> weird. Super weird. <laughs> yeah, it was real weird. Um, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, Chicago, and then a movie called Cypher in 2002. Uh, which, God damn you, Cypher! Yeah. <laughs> Enough said. <laughs> uh, yeah, needless to say, I mean, this was a big moment for both of them, but oddly enough, didn't really do that much for either of them. No, not like, at all. They didn't really, like, do much more. Like, Uma Thurman, she had a little bit more of a resurgence. I know she was in The Producers a few years later. That movie was sweet. Yeah, it's, it's good. And she's good Feral in it. kills it. Yeah, he's hilarious. <laughs> it's amazing. I know she's in that, and I know they did another, there's Before Sunset and After Sunset. Mm-hmm. And then, was there, did they make a third one? Or has the third one maybe just been announced? During Sunset. Something like that. I don't, I don't know. Or like, I, But those are like the, the Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman. Oh, and Kill Bill 3 just got, I mean, recently got announced. Announced, yeah. And I, I didn't get a read. Someone was talking on the live chat or something about a video or, a, or an interview that had come out about it. I didn't get to check it out, but I'm going to. Yeah, Tarantino for a long time had said he wasn't going to do it. And mm-hmm. then in a more recent interview, he was like, well, we're considering it. Now. See, I always wonder about things like that when... 
Because number two was a sequel, but it was a great sequel because it wasn't supposed to be one. It was just part of the movie. It was part yeah, of the movie. Yeah, yeah. So this is like, this is now 10 years gone, 12 years gone. Um, now we're going to maybe make Kill Bill 3. I, I just feel like it's kind of cheap. Well, I, I think we'll see what happens. I was but. reading that originally his intention was to make this his like dollars trilogy, if you were, mm. which is like the that's like the reference to the uh, the old spaghetti westerns with Clint Eastwood, right? So I think he he wanted to sort of make like a whole se- like a whole cycle, and one of them was going to be an anime, and it's going to be about the kids growing up, um, you know, like the orphaned children coming back for revenge. Okay, um, yeah, 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 I remembered. And the other one was going to be like a prequel, like when the whole uh, was Assassin Viper, Deadly Viper, Assassin Squad. Yeah, when they were like up and coming, like the sort of their origin story right um that was kind of the way that they had he had imagined it but obviously this is a guy i'm sure that has like a ton of projects on his mind of course um so anyway we can uh, we can move into a little bit of production development um so yeah i mean tarantino at this point in his career kind of had the keys to the kingdom a little bit he absolutely he was just sort of which is weird too considering jackie brown was kind of a flop right but wasn't it it kind of was like a flop but then awards people like, it liked seemed like it, it. should have been gunning for awards i think yeah like like that movie's sweet like I, here you go, man. I'll pen it myself. Thank you. Um, that movie's sweet, but it was like not innovative in the way that like Pulp Fiction right. or Reservoir Dogs had like really blown doors open. So, but yeah, he he was given a ton of time and money to make this movie. Um, yeah, this movie shot for a long time. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, what was uh with the, with the writing? It was like it took six, six years, years to write the to entire write the script. Whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Original draft was about two hundred twenty pages long. The last, the final scene took two months to film. Yeah, it took eight weeks. Well, there's also so much like, so much of this movie is fight choreography. That's amazing. There's like dialogue, but then so much of it is just intense fight choreography. It is, and and that's another thing that and of why. It might not feel like our movie is. There is so much action in it, but it's shot like a best picture. Right. You know what I mean? Like, the cinematography in this movie is amazing. I mean, the tracking shot, the tracking shot at the end, there's two of them, but there's one that's a few minutes, like two minutes Actually, we can cue it. We have it. Oh, we have it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's cue the tracking shot. This took set, what was it, 17 takes, and and it took six hours to rehearse each time, basically. They just did it over and over and over, and uh, it's perfect. It's great. These are the type of things, when I watch, it makes me feel like a kid. Like, I yeah. can enjoy it as a kid and as, a, as yeah. a movie critic. You know what I mean? Totally. Like You see things like this, and it goes up and over and around and through, and it's just amazing. It's like that tracking shot in Children of Men. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one good. of my favorites. I love that movie. I love that movie. I wish we could do that on the show, but we definitely... It's that, so it's, dramatic. It's too dramatic. Charlie Brown, John. <laughs> Our buddy Jason, who was on the show for the uh, the Predator episode and the um, what, what episode did he just come on for? Predator. That was it. It was yeah. just the one. Oh yeah, yeah, it was Matt. Matt had come back. Uh, yeah, Jason had come up. He dressed up as uh, Chuck Norris in like a yellow outfit from the movie <laughs> in the eighties for Halloween, and he looked Isn't exactly like Charlie he looked Brown. <laughs> exactly like that guy. Like a hundred percent. It was amazing. Sophie, beautiful. She's my style. Yeah, so I guess Tarantino was, like, <laughs> finishing up scouting locations Yeah, in Tokyo, I believe. can't remember exactly where he was. And uh, he was in, like, a convenience store or something, and he heard <clears throat> this song come on over, over the radio. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, like, over the speakers. And he was, like, immediately just captured by it. So he went up to the clerk, and he begged him. He's like, can I buy this CD from you? To copy, yeah. right? Yeah, I read that. And then he, he obviously bought it and immediately just found them and booked them in the movie. Yeah, it's awesome. It's crazy. And anyway, everyone's always... There's always someone watching. 
Always someone listening, you know? Yeah, you never know. I mean, that's... Uh, I just can't believe this movie is as old as it is. I, like, I know. It's, it doesn't sort of, feel... It feels like it's like 2006. Yeah, it's just weird that like... So sweet. It's like a classic in some ways, you know? It is. This is a total classic to me. Yeah. Like, so I will show cr- my kids this movie. Yeah, it's crazy. Charlie Brown, John. All right. Yeah. Um, so that's a pretty incredible scene. Hard, hard to execute something like that. Absolutely. And always a great reminder of, like, sort of just how, just how talented of a, and not even just that, but, like, how ambitious of a filmmaker Tarantino is. Yeah. He's always trying new stuff. Um, you know, he always, he's just, like, like, there's an anime sequence in this movie that's amazing. It's amazing. It's done by, uh, Kazuto Nakazawa, who is obviously, like, a famous, uh, video game and anime yeah. designer and artist. But, and we're not, again, sort of we're not gonna talk about it a lot, but that yeah. was one of the first times that, an anime scene had been in a huge, like, Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was like, amazing. Yeah, just, like, outside the box. Like, yeah. just, like, let's just do this. And it's long, too. And, it, and, and, like, when you're watching it, it de- like, I remember when it first happened for a second, I was like, what's happening here? Like, when I watched it as a kid. Yeah. But then you're just, it's so good. Right. It, 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 add, it totally adds to the movie. It doesn't take away at all. Yeah, it's, and it's done really accurately. Like, I, I remember in middle school and, and high school being, I was a fan of anime. Like, Me too. I watched a lot of anime. Yeah, I kinda my, got my best friend it. watched it and then I stopped. Yeah. yeah, but I just remember, like, the style of this is done, the movement and everything. It's mm-hmm. all very accurate, but it's so gory. Yeah. It's all the gnarly. spraying blood and, uh-huh. the, and the one. Punching out the teeth and, like, the crunching of the head. And... The one character who's, like, all, like, you know, he's, like, uh, that guy with the hair the over sleazy, his eye. Yeah, yeah. And he's, like, sort of, like, with the sword. It's, like, pretty cool. <laughs> what is this movement? You I don't really know. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> For those of you on audio, I was just <laughs> dancing like a some sort of a slippery creature of some kind. Um, do you know that there was 450 gallons of fake blood used in this movie? Amazing. 450 gallons of blood. Yeah, it was rumored that the reason that they went black and white is because they ran out of fake blood, yeah. which isn't true. I don't think you could. It was a rating thing? It was a rating thing. It was the MPAA was like, and Tarantino, of course, just owned it up and turned it into something that everyone was like, oh, that's a, it's a, it's an homage to this and that. No, yeah. it's not. No. Even though it could be, it wasn't. He did it because it was too gory. It was too much blood for an R-rated movie at the time. Yeah. It's and crazy. I loved it. And, and the black and white there worked too. Yeah, homage to the, so the black and white photography is ultimately an homage to the 70s and 80s U.S. television airings of kung fu movies, black and white, were used to conceal the shedding of blood from television censors. Originally, no black and white photo- photographic effects were going to be used, and in the Japanese version, none are, but the MPAA demanded measures be taken to tone the scene down. Absolutely. Um, which I think is exactly what you just said. But it's exactly what I said, but it's written. But it's verbatim. It's verbatim. <laughs> <laughs> I felt it was important to read that. Um, yeah, so I mean, moving on to Tarantino and Lawrence Bender. Uh, You're really helpful. <laughs> produced by Colin Lawrence Bender. Um, Lawrence Bender, Tarantino's homeboy. Yeah, so he's been. This is really interesting because most of. I mean, this movie's massive in scale. It's, yes. It accomplishes a lot. It's it's impressive looking. Most of the time when we do a movie and it looks like this movie looks, there's like 13 producers listed. I know. And you always have to choose the three or four that were the most relevant and yeah. then we talk about them. But Lawrence Bender is Tarantino's guy. He's the sole credited executive producer. Yeah. He just he works with Tarantino and like ha- and has. I don't mm-hmm. know in the later films if that's yeah, the case. He didn't do Death Proof Django and he's not gonna do Hateful Eight. But everything up till yeah. Inglorious? Okay. I think. I think if if I remember correctly, and I, and if somebody's watching knows this and I'm wrong here, feel free to shout me out. But I want to say they had a falling out. I'm pretty sure I, I recall reading something about this. Hmm. Um Well I've heard Tarantino's kind of a prick. Yeah, that's what you hear. But he's also He's like, also cool though. Yeah, and he's like one of those he's one of those creative people where it's just like 
hard, you know, people that have a vision, they're visionaries where they just, they see the world in a specific way and it's exactly what they want. It's like Cameron. Yeah. It's like, you're not going to be happy if someone else is not giving you what you want. You want exactly what you want when you want it. And you want the support of the people around you. So here's the question. Are the visionaries that are dicks uh, actually like true visionaries or is it just that they were in a lucky enough position to get the money and the support to do what their vision was and that if anybody else with good ideas got the same opportunity they would make awesome shit too it's just that they they struck gold and now they just get away with it I don't know I, I'm i sure part of it is a little, both. little little bit of A a little bit of B Yeah, but I think it's a lot more of like because you look at these guys that I mean Nolan hasn't really ever been called a dick but right. you, got, you look at these people like P.T. Anderson Nolan Boyle uh, Spielberg Cameron yeah. There's a reason, Tarantino, there's a reason that they're the best at what they do. Yeah, 100%. And it's it's this visionary, like, I see this happening and we're going to make it happen no matter what. And you can either be with me or you can get the fuck out of here. Well, and, and getting lucky once is different than making a whole career's worth of, like... Right, and all of these guys that I just mentioned have yeah. an incredible <laughs> track record. Like, I celebrate the guy's entire <laughs> catalog. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so anyway, that's, I mean, that's pretty much what there is to know. There's There's not a whole lot of story. You know, with Tarantino, he's... He's a guy who grew up working in a video store, and this right. is it, it, with the invention of VHS tapes. You know, he had a VCR, mm-hmm. and he worked in a video store, and he watched all these movies, and he just sort of, uh, shit. What movie was it? The director yeah, of it's Brian Helgeland yeah, walked in and to the video store that he was working at, Man on Fire, and Tarantino told him to watch it, and yeah. he did. And then years later, when Tony Scott was doing the remake, right. Helgeland rewrote it. Of course, yeah, and it's all because of Tarantino. Tarantino. I love that. That's, That's it's a cool so story. cool how things come back around like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I worked in a video store. Maybe I'm a visionary. I worked in a video store too. <laughs> no, that, you, I no just you didn't. Hung out in one a lot and sometimes the damn talked to point customers. break kids back. <laughs> hey, have you seen uh, Bridget Jones' Diary? It's, uh, <laughs> me neither. It's an Academy Award winner. <laughs> Can you buy me this popcorn? <laughs> <laughs> so with Tarantino, it's tough because we could sit here and we could talk about him for the length of this whole show because of who he is. Yeah, so I think we'll just point out a couple things that if for, if for anybody who's like seen Kill Bill but maybe is not like super aware of his career. So Tarantino is one of these guys who, because he grew up as such a fan of movies, mm-hmm. he's obsessed with recreating moments that were important to him. And this has been the story of his whole career. So his original film, the first feature film that was you know released wide, was Reservoir Dogs. That's the movie that broke him, uh, and that's a great movie. Reservoir Dogs to date is still my favorite Tarantino movie. It's, really, I Over think Pulp Fiction is a better movie, but Reservoir Dogs is the Tarantino movie that like every time I'm watching. Like, first time I watched that movie, it was so intense. Yeah, so fucking cool. yeah. Um, and that movie, I want to say the original film is called City on Fire. Mm-hmm. Um, could be wrong, but it's very close to that. Let me, I'll, I'll pull it up. Um, or no, no, no. It's it's called in Infernal something. Carnal desires. No, no. It's like <laughs> Infernal something. But Infernal affairs. Infernal affairs. I think. I, I don't, how about you just continue? Your yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll I think it's it called up. Infernal affairs. Um, anyway, it's it's a Asian film, and many of the shots in Reservoir Dogs, unbeknownst to a lot of people, are shot for shot, like. If you go watch the original film and then you watch Reservoir Dogs, you're like, oh my god, this entire sequence, the camera movement, this whole thing, mm-hmm. like that's from the other movie. And so early on, he was criticized heavily for that. This was this was a thing people took issue with. Right. Um, the interesting thing is that like when you start to realize that in art, you know, life imitates art, art imitates life. Every creative person is just strong inspiration from somewhere else. Of course. And the best, the most creative people, the best ones are the ones that can get over themselves and just say like. 
I'm not going to feel sheepish about stealing this thing. No. I'm just going to combine it with something else I think is I mean, cool. They always say that imitation is the greatest form of flattery. Yeah. If you've done something... I mean, it goes back to like why every single film class watches Citizen Kane. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? you got to do it. You've got to pull from things that have happened. <laughs> Rosebud. <laughs> I was watching... I'm watching old episodes of The Simpsons right now. Yes. And, and uh, <laughs> I was watching like... Mr. Burns just walks into a room and he's like... These a hundred monkeys on a hundred typewriters. What are, they, what are they working on now? It's like it was the best. Of, uh, get this out of here! <laughs> it's just so laughing. good, so good. Uh, so I think it's time to play our game. Okay, yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, um, yeah so, my, the, the last point I was going oh, to sorry. just about Tarantino is that sort of was what started him, and, and then what's happened in the years since is that now people are very, very used to his style. What makes Tarantino Tarantino? Nobody really criticizes that anymore because it's become part of his filmmaking. Yeah. And then even his script, True Romance, is a Tarantino movie that was bought and made by Tony Scott, which feels the least like any Tony Scott movie. Right. Feels because like, it's a Tarantino. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I believe from Dust Till Dawn, he has a significant yeah. amount to do with. Absolutely. I know he's in it. I can't remember if he wrote it. I believe he wrote it or wrote some of it at least. Yeah. And so he's just sort of carved out this niche in Hollywood that people try to rip off, but he's really like. He's the guy. He's the guy. He's the only Tarantino. Right. Um, so anyway, yeah, let's get into the game. So we mentioned earlier this game. It's it's a top five. Top five actors or actresses who we would love to see kind of skyrocketed to the next level or resurrected in their career by a Tarantino project. Do you want to go like one for one? Let's go one for one. I wrote six. I wrote five because it was five. <laughs> <laughs> this is top six. Fine. I'll do – okay, my sixth then is going to be – it's going to be Annette Benning, And okay. you said this before the show because yeah. I would mentioned, I was like, I feel like I need to do a girl because it's all guys. And I love her in American Beauty. Yeah. She's an incredible actress. And I love that she's like method. Yeah. I heard on set for that movie, she was just the worst. The worst. Everyone hated her. Yeah. It's because her character's a bitch. Yeah. She's so good. And uh, yeah, so she'll be my sixth since this is top five. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's... What was the last? Didn't Annette Benning just a few years ago have an Oscar nod? I feel like she did like three years Probably. ago. Probably. I mean, the woman is an incredible actress. Yeah, yeah. She just, no one cares about her anymore. Yeah, yeah, it's Kind of like the woman on your list. We'll go with her then. <laughs> Ever heard of an actress named Diane Alicia Vikander? <laughs> for those of you that watch the show, you know I have a certain penchant for Diane Lane. Pendulum. Uh, she's... The reason I put Diane Lane is not because she's not still relevant. She it's because is. she's smoking hot. Um, she's in. She's still actually in pretty big movies. She's in Trumbo, which right. Cranston just got nominated Sweet. for a SAG award this morning for. Um, I love that man. And she was in um, Superman, right? She, yeah, she's in Man of Steel. Yep. So she's still in big projects. She is, but she's it's not. She's completely replaceable. They're never her project. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So my thing is like, she's awesome. She's smoking hot. If if there was like a role, like a really solid role in a Tarantino movie that was like based around, say, like a middle aged woman, um, she would be awesome. And I would love right. to see it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, for my number five, and this is interesting because. He, it's kind of the same thing that we just, you just talked about Diane Lane, but Alicia I feel like he's Vickander. even, he's, he's a Alicia Vikander. No, uh, he's even more relevant than she is because he was just in a huge movie, Birdman. Oh, Keaton? Norton. Oh, oh that's a great one. I love Edward Norton so much. And yeah. He is so talented. Yeah. But he just doesn't get, like, American History X is one of my favorite movies of yeah. all time. Of course it is. Weird guy. Weird guy I am. <laughs> um, but to see him in, like, another gnarly, like, gritty role, like, that really, really tests his yeah. acting chops. I would love to see almost more than nothing else. Yeah. So that's, that's mine at five. 
Yeah, yeah, Norton's so good. So good. Um, okay, I'm going to go with one that I'm assuming is on your list, because this is like, I feel like the, this is almost created by this notion, and it's Nicolas Cage. Of course it is. Yeah, it has to be, right? Yeah, he's my number one. Yeah, like you, because you kind of, he's kind of the ultimate actor for it. Like He is, he's so good. When he's When he's good, he's great. He's been in so much crap now. Absolutely. For so many years that I'm just like... Like, when's the last Nick Cage movie that came out that you were like, that looks good? Yeah, even the ones that people would be like, that was good or he was good in it. You know what? He saw them. No. Like, uh, Port Except of Orleans, for Bad, Treasure. Bad Lieutenant. That was like three, four years ago. It was all right. And yeah. Like Lord of War was all right. Yeah, and that's a while ago now. Lord yeah, of War is like... like 2006. Yeah, like... Seven. I, I want to say like there's a movie called Joe... From Joe, like two yeah, or three a years, years ago. It's all right. And people liked it. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, Nick Cage hasn't done, in at least five or six years, a big project. Like, imagine if he was in Hateful Eight. You know what I mean? Imagine if he was all over the screen getting advertised in, like, a summer or, like, Christmas. Huge release. Like, it, I would be so excited. I mean, it's the same thing as what we're talking about with Tom Cruise and Mana. Yeah. That, I cannot wait. Yeah. Like, I can't wait. Yep. Totally hopeful. So, all right. Uh, so, we both have Cage. So, we got Cage. Uh, my next one is Russell Crowe. Love Russell Crowe. I love Russell Crowe. What was his last big project? Robin Hood? Noah? Didn't he do something? Oh, Noah. Noah. I feel like, wasn't he in, like, a big movie last year? What are we forgetting? I feel like Russell Crowe was in, like, something really I actually big. have it pulled up right here, because I was just looking him up. Uh, who's your next one? But, yeah, Russell um, Crowe. Oh, here we go. Uh, sorry. I just cut you off. So, he was in... The Nice Guys is coming up. Oh, yeah. So Fathers sure. and Daughters. Hmm. He was in Noah. He was in Man of Steel, obviously. But, like, yeah. again, he's not... What was the last sweet movie? The last sweet movie? Noah, Winter's Tale, Man of Steel, Broken City, Les Mis, Man with the Iron Fist. Yeah, Les Mis would be the last, like... Robin Hood in 2010. Like, n- nothing. Yeah, Les Mis would be the last, like, super high-profile dramatic role. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's good, then. I hadn't thought about that. Uh, I still feel like he's kind of an A-lister, like, but... It would be awesome to see him. It's the same deal. Um, I went with a guy named Val Kilmer. He's on my list, too. Nice. Of course he's he is. next. <laughs> I love Kilmer. Because in MacGruber, he's the best part of the, the movie. whole movie. And even though Will Forte is, like again, this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Probably my favorite comedy of all time. But Kilmer? Give me quite Kilmer's fly. it. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. We're just going to move right on past that. <laughs> Kilmer's it. <laughs> Uh, yes, he's absolutely on my list, and it's because he's so awesome. Sweet. Super sweet. Uh, uh, who, do you, who else you got? I have three more written down because I had six. I only have one more because you've listed two of mine. So why don't, you, why don't you say another one? Um, okay. Everyone steals everything I do. <laughs> Is that a good thing? I'm going to go with a little guy. I'm going to go with a little guy. Uh, Andrew, <laughs> listen here. Uh, I'm going to go with a little guy I like to call Jack Nicholson. That's so funny. He was. I almost picked him on my list, but I thought he retired. He might be. Yeah. The last I, thing I can remember him in was Departed. And that was like 06. Yeah. Right? I love Nicholson. What I was thinking with Nicholson on this was how sweet would it be if like there was just some old, disgusting assassin who was just like... Just dirty. Walked on like a cane and yeah. it was like really just dirty and crazy. It would be him. Yeah. And Tarantino could just nail it to the oh, wall. Of course. Yeah. So hey, that, I feel like Nicholson might be one of the biggest Tarantino misses ever. Yeah. Yeah. He yeah. should have had him. Maybe he still will. I mean, Hackman so. showed up in in Ten Bombs, and that was like his last really relevant thing he did, and that was yeah. like awesome. It's like probably my, it's probably the most memorable Hackman role I can think of. Uh, have you seen a little movie called Enemy of the State? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so my last one 
And it's weird because it's like you almost don't want to see it. Yeah. But I really do. And I could never see the two of them working together. Please tell me it's not the same one I have right now. Mel Gibson. Oh. 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 Right? Yeah. That'd be so good. That's almost the best one, actually. That'd be, he would just kill it. He would be so good in a role where he's just like a dirty, like, I think that's maybe the best one. That's maybe the best one on the whole list. Because he's crazy Mm -hmm. and he's not liked. But it's not the same as Cruz where, like, I imagine Cruz and I'm like, like, yeah, it'd be awesome if he did it. But at right. this point in his career, I just can't see it happening. It's just too weird. He wouldn't say fuck that many times. Mm-hmm. He did it in Magnolia because P.T. Anderson is sort of like an analog <clears throat> director in some ways. Right, right. Um, but, you know, like I think Gibson's so like sort of so crazy and like so <laughs> such an aggressive actor in the roles that he's willing to take. Like if I think that would be amazing. It'd be killer, right? Yeah. I would love it. Love it. It's so hard. Like. It's so hard to like Mel Gibson anymore, yeah. but then you go and watch The Patriot. If you go and watch this film called The Patriot. A little film called. You go and you watch a little film called The Patriot. <laughs> Andrew? <laughs> Andrew? Listen, listen here. Um, uh, all right, so that's our top. Oh, you got, you got another one, I don't got you? got one more. I, you went do. With, I went with a young man, a young actor. Somebody I think that would be great to break through with the Tarantino movie. Shia LaBeouf. Shia. Yeah. How good is that? That's good. Because he's kind of crazy. Yeah. He's really talented. And he's super weird. Yeah. And like you just imagine, what if he got like a cherry roll, just like a really good oh, one? Dude, I would love I I actually really like Shia LaBeouf. Me too. I think he's incredibly talented. He's yeah. a weird guy. It's really weird. <laughs> uh, but he's totally the type of guy that's going to win an Oscar in ten, like less than 10 yeah, years. Yeah, totally. He'll be in some movie that's going to blow everyone's mind. Yeah. And I think he'd be fucking great for a Tarantino movie. Yeah. Shia yeah. LaBeouf and Mel Gibson in. The Patriot. The remake. <laughs> <laughs> With RZA doing the soundtrack. Oh, God, be amazing. All right, uh, so looks like we can move on to money, right? Yeah, critical we're doing. Yeah, okay. yeah, let's do it. So this movie only cost $30 million to make. Really? Isn't that amazing? I guess it's because really the vast majority of it is just that one gigantic action sequence. Blood and wires and yeah. there's no... Oh, the anime probably costs a good, good, good chunk of money. money yeah. uh, but still, it seems like it almost seems so low that I want to go check my numbers again because it seems impossible well we don't when we so when we do budget we don't ever actually talk about uh unless it's in a specific case like when we did a demolition man last week and we were like well it cost this much but then it had like an extra 40 million dollars in advertising and promotion so like unless there's a specific stat that references that we actually usually right. just keep the budget at the budget like that movie we did what, what movie was it a couple weeks ago where they spent like an extra like 70 million dollars no, so i just said demolition man oh you did yeah, yeah. i was um, you were <laughs> Nice work. That's going to be a good clip when we show that. No, that's going to be one of our highlight moments. <laughs> highlight I wasn't movie. listening. I'll just be honest. Demolition Man last week when we said that they spent an extra $40 million. What was that movie that we just <laughs> talked about? <laughs> it was like when you reread exactly what I just read earlier. Pretty good. Look, we're doing this great. We're doing a great job. Uh, I was at a holiday party last night, Andrew. <coughs> I am just a drunk, so Doesn't take care hello. of himself. <laughs> um, this just in. We work at the same place. Yeah, well, it worked. Uh, so, yes, studio was Miramax, $30 million to make. It opened in October of uh, 2003, and it grossed $70 million domestic. So it was a huge success. You huge. know, it doubles it, over doubles its budget, mm. and then it grossed another 110 worldwide. Um, $181 million on a $30 million budget is just... Phenomenal. I bet the studios were happy, too, since they were going to make another movie. Damn fine, Jeeves. Damn fine. Damn that. Damn him. Damn that man. Damn him. Damn that man. <laughs> I like the fist shake, too. Oh, he's so good. Does he do it in the movie? I don't think so. I think we just added it. I think he just... Mm, damn him. Boy, damn boy. that man. Wilkinson's you so dream, good. General. You dream, General. The best. The best. Uh... <laughs> uh <laughs> 
That was a Patriot reference. We love that movie. We did the film several weeks ago. <laughs> you can watch the episode. Can't get over it. <laughs> uh, it opened number one at 22 million. I believe it was like their School of Rock out as well. And there was other, oh, there was yeah. other like big movies that were out at School the time. School of Rock. Um, and this movie is, again, Ben's favorite list. Our uh, critical reception, it's got an 8.1, which oh, puts IMDb. it in the top... 250 at number 169. This is definitely the 169th best movie ever made. I know. I'm quitting the show. I'm quitting uh, the show. <laughs> I quit. Burning my suit. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes has got an 85 from all critics, 80% from top, 80, 80 from audience. People love this movie. It's a good movie. What is this? It's a very good movie. It's well made. It's almost as good it. as The Taking of Pelham 123. But not quite. It's like at least 10 times better. And I suggest we move on. I suggest we, <laughs> let's 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 look at the numbers here. Uh, we'll look at Quentin Tarantino's breakdown. Uh, give me a little zoom on that. You got you got a page. It's your oh, final, I do. It's your final page. Shit. Uh, oh, so are. adjusted for ticket price inflation. <laughs> That's uh, Pulp Fiction is the first one on the list. Two hundred eleven million dollars. Yep, uh, was very successful. Django would be number two at just just shy of one hundred and seventy one million dollars. Um, Inglorious Bastards. Then you have the Kill Bill film. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah, this is just right dead center. Yeah, it is, and it for me it it feels like I don't know. I feel like it's the most important movie he did after two thousand. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I know Django and, and Inglorious were big, but see, that's the weird thing. That's that's <clears> that <throat> actually that that'll speak to my point a bit more about the way that I perceive this movie. Yeah. I mean, again, we we this is complete polar different opposites. experience. Yeah. yeah. So. And I, I guess I actually, I understand now. It makes a little more sense to me why this movie feels like such a classic to you. It's because of the age you were and like what it represented and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And it's obviously reviewed very well. So you were told by your peers and everyone else at the time, like, you are correct in thinking this is great. Right. So you are validated in holding this on a pedestal. For some reason, I just didn't feel the same way about it. But like, I think about Django and Inglorious Bastards. People fucking love Tarantino movies. They like, do. They, they go love them. nuts. They get Oscar <clears throat> nominations. They win Oscars. He's... He's huge. They make a ton of money. They appeal to this gigantic audience. But I feel the same way about Inglorious and Django that I felt about Kill Bill, which is like they were just right. – it's just a Tarantino movie is kind of my feeling. But it's so weird because – But I'm in the minority here. Right. But Hateful Eight, no one would want to see that movie if it wasn't a Tarantino, Tarantino movie. movie. Yeah. You know, because like you watch the trailers and the first trailer was just like nothing. And the second trailer finally like let you know what was going on, like the story of it. Yeah. And it looks cool. But I would not be even remotely excited to see it on the same level. It would not even be in the same like at stratosphere. Like, it's interesting that worldwide, Django was by far his most successful movie. See that? $425 million worldwide? Yeah. And Inglorious at three twenty one. That's like pretty fascinating. Like that I guess that movie and that's his most 12. recent movie. It's like Tarantino like that's that's why he can get the budget to do whatever whatever he wants. And I was listening to um yeah. I was listening to Paul Shear and Rob, <clears throat> Rob Hubel on uh, Nerdist podcast like a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about they were in like Telluride for the film festival and they were – they saw Tarantino's crew there and they were like filming Hateful Eight or something like that or maybe it was a different movie. But the movie that had to be in the snow, um, like a significant amount of snow. Right. And there was no snow. So the entire crew was just waiting around for snow. Just waiting for it to snow. Waiting for it to snow. That's the kind of freedom that he gets to make his movies for some like right. I mean, day last, six of shooting, just waiting for snow. His yeah. last movie, his last movie, made four hundred and twenty-five million dollars. So hateful eight, like, here's the keys, dude. Do yeah. whatever you want with the You're car. You're gonna because I'm gonna go see it in theaters. So are you? Yep, hundred you know? percent. That's pretty fascinating. Just for the mustache, really. 
I can't like I can't wait to touch his mustache. I can't wait to do Tombstone, guys. I, I after last week, Who I was, was so butthurt. I was so he was, butthurt. He was very upset that we didn't get through Tombstone. That, I think my reje- my rejection of Kill Bill has more to do with the fact that I wanted to talk about Tombstone so much. It did. It is. Uh, let's see, Axel here, one of our good fans, is like, I'm totally watching Tombstone tomorrow. Yeah, I can't wait. Okay, so Tombstone <laughs> and the movie we're going to do on the show next week. And we'll talk about it during the pitch. Ben is very excited about it. I'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, I've seen both those movies about once. And I've and seen both been... of those movies probably 50 or 60 times. Exactly. Maybe Tombstone like 20. This other movie that we're going to talk about at the end, I've literally seen like 70 times. Yeah. Which is funny because it's, it's totally, it's like the Patriot feeling for me. Because yeah. you've never seen it. I was so excited. Yeah, yeah, Like yeah. Kill Bill, it's, it's a little different. Yeah. Because, yeah, anyway. So, um, all right. So that's, that's enough with the money. Uh, I want to talk about these reviews because I pulled them pretty specifically for you and me. Yeah. With this movie. Um, the first this one is from Peter Rayner from New York Magazine. He says, there is no ironic overlay in Tarantino's movie. No, oops, no commenting on the pop schlock <clears throat> he's replicating. He simply wants to remake it in his own way, the kinds of movies he's always loved. And he's about as uncynical as a movie geek can be. And that's what we talk about. I mean, like, he does it. He pulls and he does yeah. it in, in tribute of these other movies. Yep. And, and he, and he put, put, puts it all together in a way that's just completely palatable and enjoyable. Yep. Yeah, people love it. And the other one is, I want you to read it because it's, it's. I'll, I'll read it and you can agree with it. Uh, <laughs> structurally and narratively amputated, Volume 1 retains head and guts. It loses its heart. And gams to the second installment. That was like a dual effort. I, was, you started, I don't know why. <laughs> I did the middle and you finished it. We're going to start doing one word at a time on the show. We're, we finish each other's sentences sometimes on sandwiches. the show. Sandwiches. <laughs> we finish each other's sandwiches. Sandwiches. <laughs> Uh, yeah, which is, and the reason I picked that is because you like the second one a lot more than the first one. It's funny, because I, I saw both of them in theaters. I only saw each of them once. Mm-hmm. But my feeling was that the second movie was more of a drama, and I just sort of liked the character a bit more. It's a good movie. I also liked, if I recall, I really liked David Carradine. I thought he was great. He's good. Yeah, and I think I enjoyed that he was in the second movie. Plus, you get more Michael Madsen, which I like as well. I know, I do love, what's his name, Bill? No, Bill Buck. Buck, yeah. yeah. Those were, and I think, I, I always liked Madsen, obviously, because of, um... What's it called? Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. When he's screaming in the ear. One of the best. One of the best moments. That's such a good movie. Yeah. Um, Okay. That's the... Those are the... That's our critical reviews. Uh, That's it. Yeah. Let's get into the last bits of the show. Well, not the last bits, but all of the other games we play. So this is Favorite Line, guys. Uh, That's pretty self-explanatory. So (laughs) MA Podcast, if you want to share your favorite one with us, or leave it in the comments. Uh, Charlie Brown, John! That's not my favorite line. And I will take this moment really quickly to remind everybody that we are on iTunes if we go up as audio and video every single week. So give us a rating and a review. Um, the <laughs> mugs that we promised all of you, you'll be getting as your Christmas presents. Yeah. It's our solemn promise. Next uh, Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> so believe us when we say it, uh, that the mugs will be coming 2017 is going to be a big year. Uh, if you're watching this episode and you were announced as a mug winner, 16. some of you probably don't know because you're not watching this or you missed it when we announced. We still remember and have them written down, so we'll take care of our part. But if you do have it, just... Uh, email. What is our podcast? What's the email? Is it actually going to be anatomy at gmail.com? Uh, I think it's anime podcast at gmail, but we, we should. Yeah. We don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I guess either leave it in the Whatever, YouTube comments yeah. or tweet at us. Um, and that is what you should do and, and let us know your address and your name. Uh, several of you have, but just if you know you won and you never got it, just let us know and we'll get it straight out to you. Right. Um, so, and then lastly, the Popcorn Talk Network, it does other shows every single Friday. Um, Anatomy of a Movie, which is kind of like our sister show. Mm-hmm. They they do the other all the rest of the movies that we don't do. They do all the new movies every single week right. in their own style. Uh, oh my we, god, how bad do you want to see Creed? So bad. I want to see it so badly. Yeah, I still haven't watched. I heard it. it's just incredible. It's all here, yeah. 
Um, so this is normally at the top of the show, but just because I forgot. So <laughs> this is the moment that we did this time. So right. check that out. Let's get into favorite line. Uh, I want you to go first. <laughs> okay. So I was originally going to go with my favorite line was actually my fist bump. So the that was like my initial thought. Okay. But I switched it. And this is kind of fucked up, guys. But I, I went with this because... Buck as a character. The views expressed by Ben Baden do not reflect that of <laughs> Popcorn Talk Network, Popcorn Talk Network, or Andrew Guy. Um, so Buck, who likes to fuck, who has the the pussy wagon, uh, and has been violating the comatose body of Uma Thurman for quite a while. She finds out when she wakes up. Um, he's just like a disgusting character. He's also Uncle Jesse in so Breaking Bad. Of course, it's uh, Uncle Jack. Uncle Jack. Yeah. Um, in Breaking Bad, which is awesome. Like, and and it's funny. I can't believe when you told me that. I almost was too proud to admit that I didn't. Recognize. I can tell. I can tell. <clears throat> I was like, I was like, what's Uncle Uncle what in Breaking Bad? You're I was like, like oh, I was like Uncle Jack. You're like, and what like, are you talking about? Yeah. I was like, in Breaking Bad, the uncle, that's him. And I was like, like, oh, yeah, yeah, Uncle Jack. And then I sat there for a moment and had, like, my whole world crumbled around <laughs> me. He's <laughs> like, how does he know this? And I don't know this. I almost killed you. I didn't want it to leave the room. But, yeah, it was. I was like, holy shit. Because he is so, Uncle Jack is so good. Yeah. My fa- I, I literally just went back and rewatched the entire series of Breaking Bad in yeah. October. First of all, if you haven't seen that show, go watch it now. Turn off our show and go watch that and get, then come back. It's better than our show. <laughs> Um, so my, oh, please, you didn't get to your line yet. So he has several lines that I really like. The one that, the, the PG one that I'll go with is when she's bashing his head with the door and he like has brain damage. Yeah. She hits him like three times and he's like, please stop hitting my head. Please stop hitting me. His yeah. head's all like smaller. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Uh, that line. But the one that is just the grossest and t- most twisted line is when he's about to sell the corpse. And he's like, yeah, the pipes don't work down there no more, so uh, feel free to come at her. And you're just like... are those of the hosts only. And not necessarily <laughs> reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. Thank you, Mark. Thank uh, you. Yeah, feel free to come at her all you want. It's just like the grossest... It's so disgusting. It's so twisted. It's like... It's just grimy, but it's like... It's, he wanted it's perfect. Him, he wanted him to be like this disgusting, sleazy, funny, funnily sleazy character. Mm-hmm. And like, I just... I can't... You can't help but laugh. Yeah, at the character. You could, yeah, because he's, it's it's written and acted so well, and that's one of those moments Even where the, I'm like, Tarantino. My moments when he shows the the vat, the petroleum jelly, the oh, Vaseline, it's all like it's hairy, and crusty, and crusty, uh, and brown. Oh god, yeah, just the most disgusting. Cool, great. You proud of yourself? I feel dirty. Okay, you should. <laughs> I have uh, a couple. Okay, great. As usual. Uh, my first one is is when Hattori Hanzo is talking and he says, uh, "If you encounter God on your journey, even God will be cut." When he talks yeah. about the sword, because you're just like, like, never has a sword been so sweet yeah. ever. And then it even proceeds to go on when she's fighting with it, just cuts other swords in half. Yeah. I love it. My my other line though, it's my favorite. It's from the trailer, and it's it's Michael Madsen, and it's just delivered so well. It's, um, <clears throat> it's that woman deserves her. Revenge. Yeah, yeah, the Madsen line, and we deserve to die yeah it's really it's good. so good yeah yeah so that, that's my those are my two lines uh for the record i in no way support the character it's disgusting that's look man appalling behavior i just think the line in the movie is funny just make if you want to unfollow clear. ben on twitter you can unfollow him at ben Baton media all right uh moving on 
<laughs> I'm embarrassed. Um, Don't be. No, it's good. It, it's it's disgusting, but it, it's it's there for a reason. It's, it's written perfectly. Exactly. Um, so we realized just before the show today that we as we were about to do the villain hero ranking as well as the top fifty, uh, we didn't update the lists from last week with the Demolition Man. So you'll yeah, notice it's been a very busy week. We apologize. Yeah. Uh, so when we just got here and we, we were loading it up, so you guys should note that there is one more movie missing, and also that we're blind. <laughs> Why don't we do this? Why don't we do both next week? You want to do that? Add them both? Yeah. Do you want to just do hero villain ranking right now, or do you want to... We, we can do top 50 next week, maybe. I, I just don't like sitting here and staring at the lists. Because you're blind. Because I'm blind, <laughs> and we talk about it forever. Um, we can just... Let's just loosely riff on it. Okay. And we want to decide the okay. number. Okay. 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 All right, then. All right, then. All right. So, are we going to we're gonna do hero villain ranking? Yeah, yeah. But we'll, we'll just, just loosely do it. Yeah, we can just riff on it. Like, okay. where do we... Where do we um, I, I, for me... Personally, she, she ranks for me. Uma Thurman does. Yeah, yeah, the bride. Yeah, I mean, she's a badass character, no yeah. doubt. And she's got, yeah, she's got a good run, and and like she's very unique. Um, there's not a whole lot of like strong female characters that are quite at this level. Yeah. So, and she gets all her revenge. She gets so much revenge. I love revenge movies. Yeah, they're some of my absolute favorite. I mean, Old Boy is probably my favorite movie of all time. Oh, when she first she slashes Buck's fucking Achilles with the sword. <sighs> yeah, I which, remember you were just like, oh, I, I knew it was coming. Oh. And then she bashes his head in with a door. So gnarly. I love the moment too when she's realizing <laughs> it. She's realizing what's happened and she's remembering it all. Right. And she's like coming out of the coma. My name's Buck. Yeah. And I'm here to fuck. Your name's Buck. Right. Right. <laughs> and just. <laughs> and you're here to fuck. Right, yeah, and then ah, oh, and then slam, dead. So, so good. That's pretty great. Um, but I would, I mean, I have to really think about it because now the list gets so tight. But like, she can't be higher than top twenty for me. She's got to be in my top twenty. I really? Think. Yeah. She's probably somewhere between thirty and forty for me. My guess, but really? she might be like twenty eight. Okay, I'd want to look at the list. I'd put her in the top twenty for me. Uh, yeah. Villains, nah. Yeah, none of them really. Because because if you were gonna rank Bill as a villain, yeah. I don't think you can put Kill Bill one. It's as Kill Bill his movie. two. It's Kill Bill two. Yeah, and yeah, even yeah. then, he's not even like. Like, he's evil, but it's in such a weird way. Yeah, 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 for sure. And then for the movie, it's probably in my top, like, top 15, top 20. Really? I love this movie. Yeah. It's so, it's a much better movie than I was willing to give it credit for when we talked mm-hmm. about doing it. And I'll, and I will rank it as such. Like, when we do it, I'll, I'm sure I'll, I'm sure I'll throw it into my list, like, a little bit more, you know, ahead of movies like John Wick, ahead of movies like, but then it's gonna hit a point where it's like, I still enjoy movies like Predator, and I still enjoy movies like Speed more. Um, so, you know, it'll be it'll be somewhere in that sort of like in the 20s range would be my guess. Right. Um but we'll see. I we'll we'll, we'll address it next week when we have the the updated list. Absolutely. Um, so um so for recast this week, <clears throat> we have a uh, new style of recast today and um the reason that we did this is because it's kind of like it's not old enough, yeah. but it's not new enough to like pick the, between the two categories that we usually do, like 80s and 90s or, or present. Yeah. Um, but I thought it'd be cool if, if we did something called an action movie dream team, which is where you go through and you can pick any actor or actress from any point in their career yeah. and plug them in as that in, in this movie. So, for instance, like if you wanted to take uh, Russell Crowe from Gladiator right. and you wanted to take... Jamie Farr from Django Unchained, you could do that. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, we decided to recast The Bride, yep. who you don't ever find out her name in the movie, but if you do pause the movie when she's buying her plane ticket, it says Beatrix Kiddo on it. Okay. So, The Bride or Beatrix Kiddo, Vernita Green, Oren Ishii, Sophie Fatel, and I believe it says Buck Who Likes to Fuck. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> on on here. It's a good character. It is. Uh, so, I'm going to start okay. with my Buck. Yeah. And for me... It's Philip Seymour Hoffman 
Oh, in from Patch Adams. Scotty J. It's okay. Scotty J. Uh, from Patch Adams because he's just a fuck yeah. in that movie. He's so like condescending and and dickish. And I think, I mean, you can almost do a combination of Philip Seymour Hoffman and that, and also Along Came Polly. I miss him so dearly. I love him so much. So yeah. the, the, I think the 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 pinnacle, the combination of Philip Seymour Hoffman from Along Came Polly and Patch Adams is perfect. Okay, for my buck, he likes to fuck. I, I love with, your buck. I went with Matt Dillon from, uh, like, Something About Mary era. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, the scene when Ben Siller first walks into, like, the, the private eye office and he's like, he's like, hey, nice to meet you. And he, like, stands up and he's like, he's like, starts buttoning his pants back. <laughs> he's <laughs> down around his ankles. Just such a sleazy he's fuck. So good. He's yeah, so good. That movie is one of the great like it's underrated comedies ever. Yeah, it's like it was so, so huge though when it came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, it doesn't get referenced or talked about anywhere near as much as it should. The come on the ear is like something that still gets like that's a thing that people reference now. Is that a hair gel? Yeah. But aside from that, that's it's a good line. Yeah, but the movie itself is so full of good lines. I mean, Matt Dillon is just incredible. So uh, he is he'd be perfect for Buck. Okay. Um. So my Sophie Fatale. Yeah. Is another Sophie actually. Sophia Vergara. Sophia Vergara. I love minions. I love minions. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sophie, if you saw that, we apologize. Yeah. Um, it's Sophie Marceau from The World Is Not Enough. Oh. Yeah. yeah. She's good. People loved her. Yeah. She was French. smoking hot. And French. Sophie Marceau. French. And she's all killing it at the end. And she's like, being, you just dropped another pen? Yeah. Uh. Doesn't she have like some sort of weird like shirt look or like a thing on her arm or something? What is it? Does she have some sort of like... I don't know, dude. Okay. But anyway. That movie is so bad. It's a very bad <laughs> film. The best part of that movie is her. Is Denise Richards in a white shirt swimming. I... <laughs> Could not agree with you more, actually. Um, okay, my Sophie Fatale. I went with Gwyneth Paltrow. In? Don't say Shakespeare in Love. Well, I couldn't decide on the age because, like, the reality is Gwyneth Paltrow, when she's really young, like an Emma or in, like, Sliding Doors, doesn't really look all that different or feel all that no. different than, like, Gwyneth Paltrow in Iron Man 3. Yeah, she's, like, the same person. So I feel like you could just kind of go with Gwyneth Paltrow from almost, like, any era. <laughs> Anything. But I guess... I'd go, like, mid-2000s Gwyneth Paltrow. Like, okay. 04 kind of era, you know? Not quite uh, up to Iron Man. Maybe like Iron Man 1 era. There you go. So, okay. So like 08. She's pretty hot in that. She's smoking. Yeah. Love. Definitely a fan. Her. Definitely a fan. Definitely my style. She's a sweetheart too in real life. I met her a couple times. Really? Her and her mom, Blythe Danner, they used to come to this place I worked at. Yeah. Oh, cool. They're cool. I'm jealous. Um, yeah. Nick Cage also came in there. Mm. Just uh, I'll just throw that in there. I'm not really much of a name. Not really. Nick Cage, Gwyneth Paltrow, Mick Jagger. <laughs> uh, Vernita Green. Okay. Uh, I, I had to do it again, and I know that I did it a couple weeks ago, but it's Danai Gorira. It's Michonne. Oh, gotcha. Because that fight scene is sweet. Yeah, I mean, that's like pretty pretty perfect. I know. I went with, I went younger. <laughs> I went Zoe Saldana. Will Smith. <laughs> I went Zoe Saldana. Zoe Saldana. Yeah. I like that. She's I also, cool. I also did consider Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, younger Jada Pinkett yeah. but I like Zoe Saldana better. What was that movie that she was in that was like kind of an action movie? Collateral? No, no, no. Zoe. She was oh, in that, oh, oh, uh, um, Columbiana. Columbiana. Yeah. Didn't see it. No, neither did I. But she's, she can pull it off. And she, she can, like, do the action hero thing. She's mm-hmm. just a little young to pull off, like, being a mom. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, not that much younger. She, she could, can pull it off. Yeah, she could do it. And Definitely. she's she's got, the like, the body and the moves to, like, do the action thing. Mm-hmm. So. Already she! Yeah. Who is, uh, who's your Oren? I think we have the same. Maggie Q. Maggie Q. Mission Impossible 3 Maggie Q. Uh, I went, I went live for your die. Okay. Yeah, Maggie Q. Die Hard or whatever it is. 
Um, <clears throat> it's so weird that Lucy Liu was cast for this. And, and Tarantino, when he saw her in, was it Charlie's Angels? It was Charlie's Angels. He rewrote the role to be... Chinese-American. Chinese-American. Was it Charlie's Angels? He saw her in, in something yeah, significant. That she was and, Sweden. And rewrote the role for her. But it's so weird because I never would have thought of her as like a badass. It just no. never would have occurred to me. But she's so good. She's in great. This. Yeah. Her, her one scene where she chops the dude's head off. Oh, her delivery is so good. She's great. Yeah, yeah. She's really good. Oh, you know what? My other one of my other favorite line is what? It's when uh, it's when Gogo's walking down the stairs. Yeah, and um, she said Uma Thurman says something and she does like the little Japanese schoolgirl laugh. She's like, Ehh. yeah, and then she's like. And then she drops like no, 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 like really deep voice. She's yeah. like, "You call that begging?" Like, oh, it's so sweet. Do you love that chick? I love her. Yeah, like a huge I kinda crush had on her, right? huge crush on her when I was a kid. It's <laughs> like I love that woman. Uh, so, who did you cast as your bride, and from when? Elizabeth Shue, 1995, leaving Las Vegas era. She has muscular thighs. She could handle the role of an action star. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'm not opposed to it if that's what you think. I don't, I don't think it's a good cast. Did I mention she has muscular thighs? She is beautiful. I love her Yeah, in that movie. I love her in Adventures in Babysitting. <laughs> I'm sure you do. Uh, I went with a little person you may have heard of. Her name is Ellen Ripley. You went with Sigourney? I went with Sigourney via Aliens. Her body's banging. She's badass. hot. She's a total badass. She's super badass. She wears those sweet Reeboks. Yeah. Yeah, she does. Sweet in the Aliens suit. Reeboks. Yeah. 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 Um... Which I guess in this movie I I, I didn't see it, but uh, when there's a shot where they go underneath the ground, you can see Uma's shoes. Oh, they say "fuck you." It says right? "fuck you" on them. Yeah. I've never seen it. Yeah, I, I read it. I didn't notice. Yeah, um, but yeah. So that's my uh, that's my the bride. I'm gonna go with with Sigourney from then. Well, our next section is called Cage versus Cruise. I think uh, it's pretty clear Nick Cage would have played the better bride than Tom Cruise. I think that Tom Cruise would have played the better bride. <laughs> I mean, they both look good with long hair, but Nick Cage has more of a widow's peak. He has an incredible <laughs> widow's peak. You didn't I, think it would be that easy, did I like you? how... <laughs> that's Oren. <laughs> you know, for a minute there, <laughs> I kind of did. I uh, I like that we took out ultimate action scene from the from the show because we, we kept finding out that it, it didn't really, like... Yeah, it wasn't very... Didn't vibe with the show. Even though we could have done a great one for this movie. This is like... The and wor- somehow, after seven, eight months... Cage versus Cruise is still on here. We skip it almost every week. It's a good little thing. It's to just a great have on bit there, that we got. It's a, it's a, it's a great bit. For us, you, you have to listen. We enjoy doing it. Uh, all right, so we're gonna move on to. I which... was just admiring your cage. That's you pretty good. Uh, now we're gonna go into our categories, Ben. And what are what are our three categories? There are three action movie categories. They are totally legitimate. Those are movies like uh, Die Hard and Terminator Two, The Matrix, films that are just pound for pound great movies. They don't really make you unintentionally laugh. They're they're well made, and you just believe in them as movies. Like you don't say that to someone. They're like, oh, that's a ridiculous movie. Right. At least somebody in the know, anyway. There are movies that are totally ridiculous, and those are movies like Face Off and Con Air that really just kind of make you laugh the whole time. And you have to think that when they were making them, the filmmakers were in on the joke a little bit. Um, or maybe they're not, and that's why they're that's totally why, ridiculous. Yeah, exactly. And then there's legitimately ridiculous or ridiculously legitimate, uh, which is the middle category, which is movies like The Rock and movies like Speed and movies like Point Break, where they're just sort of perfectly engaging movies. They're awesome all throughout. They have one really good performance usually that kind of sells the movie on another level for you. But you kind of do laugh unintentionally. Like Predator is like a classic example. Yeah, it's a good example. Where it's awesome the whole way, but you're just laughing the whole time. But you're still like, this is so sweet. That's ridiculous. Legitimate. Yeah. 
Uh, I want to hear your category. I want to hear yours first, and I want to know why. Because I remember you talking about it shifting, maybe? Yeah, I mean... Might not have, but... I think, again, you're just remembering last week's episode. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about. Um, when I just said that, I remembered. I was like, oh, yeah, that happened last week, too. <laughs> no, I think um, I think I would have to go totally legitimate. It's so really weird to say that, though. Cause it, it, but it's so intentional in everything that it does. Mm-hmm. I don't in any way feel like this movie is trying to do something that it fails to do. Right. It's like everything that I'm supposed to feel when I feel that I feel. So, yeah, and like you laugh when you're supposed to laugh. There's not really many. I'm gonna agree. I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna agree, even though it yeah. seems so crazy because of like all the blood splurting and the music yeah. and the, the feel of the whole movie. Yeah, but it is totally legit. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I would agree. Uh, and now I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce the next segment so that you can just do it on your own because I know how excited you are. Okay, so we've started doing this thing called The Pitch, where we talk about the movie that we're going to do next it's week on the show. The Pitch! Uh, sorry. <laughs> I get really excited sometimes. So this is where we talk about this movie that we're going to do next week. We're going to get you pumped up. We're going to get you amped to watch it. And you're going to watch it before next Wednesday. And I'm going to let Ben take it from here because... Why am I letting you take it from here? This is my single favorite movie of all time. Uh, I'm gonna give you guys a little Bridget excerpt. Jones Diary. <laughs> I'm gonna give you guys an excerpt from the film. From the film, Bodie, this is your fucking wake up call. I am an FBI agent. Future, get me too. <laughs> the film is Point Break. If you aren't aware of what Point Break is, then you're about to be because this is the best movie ever. This is my favorite movie of all time. My older brother gave me a VHS copy of the tape when I was a kid. Uh, I like because I ate up everything my brother gave me because he's t- nine years older than I did. Right. Thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. It's the perfectly ridiculously legitimate movie because the movie's so silly, but it's the best thing Swayze ever did. Swayze is my all-time favorite actor, even more than Tom Cruise. Patrick Swayze is my number one. This is his best role. It's a non-stop adrenaline thrill ride. It says it on the box. Um, it, like, it's the bank rob, I mean, the premise of the movie is that they're bank robbing surfers. Do you need to change the pants? I just, I'm so excited. I, mean, I, I love Patrick Swayze in this movie. I love Counter Reeves in this movie. John C. McGinley in this movie. Busey. Busey's fantastic. Laurie Petty's great. Like, the whole movie's just so sweet. If you've seen Hot Fuzz, they reference this movie quite a bit. Uh, they absolutely do. There's a, there's you a remake. You on your back and shot your gun in the air like, oh. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's just, it's the best. Uh, this is my favorite movie ever. I can't wait to do it. Our audience is stoked. They're stoked? They're very excited. Yeah. The, re- the remake of Point Break is coming out on Christmas, and they made a mistake in the remake by not casting a superstar in the Bodie role. Yeah. Because Swayze, at the time the movie came out, was in his People Sexiest Man Alive 1990 era, Swayze with the mane of hair. The and amount of times that you've referenced Swayze and his People Sexiest Man Alive era. Do you know that it was the background of my computer for a long time? That's so not okay. The cover that of is the- so, like, That is not okay. <laughs> I'm a fan. I pay respect to the dead. He wasn't dead yet. Um, it, uh... <laughs> It's my favorite. It's the best. There's a remake coming out. I'm hoping that the remake is at least serviceably good. I'll have to see if I like Point Break as much as I like Roadhouse. Yeah, I mean, Roadhouse is sweet, but Roadhouse is super over-the-top ridiculous. Yeah, it's and completely ridiculous. And we all know ridiculous. the best movies we do on the show are the middle categories. Yes, They're always true. the most classic. And Point Break is just the fucking best. Yeah. It's the fucking best. Yeah! So, uh, calm down, boy. Calm that's down. That's the pitch, guys. That's the pitch. I hope you guys are at least half as excited as Ben. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a one-man show next week. <laughs> and in that show, I'll be reenacting the entire film. doing Shot all the, for shot. All the characters. <laughs> um, 
It's Keanu in his first action role? Stop. Okay. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. the show. That's the show. What a good one. It was a fun one. What Absolutely. a good show. Even uh, though it was Kill Bill. Yeah. yeah we, had, we had fun. We always have fun on we the have, show. Yeah, we do. That's um, true. So, guys, thank you for stopping by and checking the show out. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can follow us at AMA Podcast. You can find me at Ben Bateman Media on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can find me at Andrew Guy on Twitter. And uh, otherwise, we will see you guys next week for Point Break. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas coming up. Take care. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals.